Welcome back to Anecdotal Anatomy. We love this community we're growing. Thank you for being such an important part of this journey. If you live in Bucks County or have dabbled in functional medicine, chances are pretty great that you've heard the name Wendy Warner, MD. It feels like grace that we not only know her personally, have practiced yoga with her and have seen her or someone in her practice professionally. We won the lottery that she chose to be our guest today. Dr. Warner exemplifies what it means to live in balance. It's not chance that her practice is called medicine in balance. Her mind is as sharp as her communication is accessible. We're so excited to dive into this conversation and see where it leads us. So let's go. Welcome to Anecdotal Anatomy. On this episode, we will be focusing on Manamaya Kosha. And I'd like to begin by inviting our guest, Dr. Wendy Warner. Thank you for being with us. It's so great to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Let me just introduce her with letting you get to know her just a little bit more deeply. After 14 years of conventional medicine and an OB-GYN practice, Dr. Warner established Medicine in Balance, a collaborative holistic medical practice in suburban Philadelphia. There she focuses on a functional integrative approach to health and healing, working alongside practitioners from many different backgrounds and offering a wide variety of therapeutic options. She's board certified in gynecology and holistic integrative medicine. She's a certified functional medicine practitioner, an herbalist, a Mesa carrier for Caro tradition, Merca medicine lineage. She's nationally recognized as a speaker and educator, including teaching for the Institute of Functional Medicine. She's the president, I'm sorry, the past president of the American Board of Integrative Holistic Medicine. She authored a chapter in the upcoming fifth edition of the Integrative Medicine Textbook and is the co-author of Boosting Your Immunity for Dummies. She currently serves on the Scientific Advisory Board for Gaia Herbs. After reading that, I'm reminded of a post I saw of yours on social media where you said education, uh, well, you posted, reposted a quote that said, education isn't something you can finish. And boy, does your bio remind us that life <laughs> is a journey of learning and growing and seizing opportunities that appear before us. So we were talking about Manamaya Kosha and the mind and the mind in relation to healing. And I'd like to ask you if you could tell us a little bit about your experience of living in a body and how you came to the recognition that you, had, you were very kinesthetic, how you mm. made that transition from being cerebral and in your head to bringing the focus down into your body. Yeah, so when I was young, um, long before med school, I was kind of the nerdy little kid who read a lot of books. I mean, I was always outside playing, you know, but I was the nerdy little kid who read a lot of books. And um, then of course, when you start down the path of getting trained for medical school and the medical profession, it's all very intellectual. And I was literally told, in training, ignore your intuition, pay attention to science. So I said, fine, no problem. And um, I really, really lived it, totally lived in my head. I mean, I tell people all the time, I, here's where I was, the body just carried the head around for decades, you know, never really learned to live down here. And it was, it probably started actually in my, early thirties when of course I had just started practice finally after all those years of training and realized, oh God, I am in such bad shape because I've had all this time of not taking care of myself physically. And so I was exercising and, you know, trying to eat better. And I got to yoga. You guys will appreciate this. I got to yoga and suddenly, um, probably about four or five weeks into going multiple classes a week, I was 
lying in Shavasana and I went, oh wow, this is what peaceful must feel like. And this was not something that, you know, I was familiar with. And so then a couple more weeks go by, I'm lying down in Shavasana at the end of class and I go, hey, wow, cool. I stayed here the whole class. I wasn't standing here holding the pose, thinking about what I needed to do on the way home. And probably six or eight months into it, I started realizing that I could listen to what my body was telling me because prior to that, every single thing I had done with my body had been about telling my brain, telling my body what to do, you know, do this, do this, lift weights, do this. And it was through yoga that I actually sort of learned to pay attention to what the rest of me was and learn to inhabit the rest of me. But that was only the tip of the iceberg. Um, fast forward a bit. I was unfortunately in an unhappy marriage and we were going through counseling, trying to figure out like how to fix it. And um, one day I was in an individual therapy session and my counselor was asking me about how I felt. And I started answering. And after a while, she literally started chuckling at me. And I went, um, wait, why are you laughing? I'm, I'm spilling my heart out here. Why are you laughing at me? She goes, no, Wendy, what you're doing is you're giving me descriptions. You're not actually giving me feelings because you don't have the words for your feelings. And I went, okay. And that's when it hit her, you know, maybe we need to do this differently because you're up here and you're not down here really. And so we started doing more sort of gestalt work because it was my therapist who said, Wendy, you actually, you, you feel it. You just don't know how to express it. And I went, okay. Cause of course at this point I'm still way up here. And it was during those sessions with her that she would literally say, okay, she would make a comment and say, okay, find your response, your emotional response, find it in your body. Tell me what it looks like. This was like crazy. This was like nothing I had done before because it was all about answering the multiple choice questions on the test, right? And it was very interesting for me to do that transition to um, finally realize she's absolutely right. I had learned to minimize my feelings because I spent so much time in my head. And if your feelings are all in your body and you're up here, it's like totally easy to just ignore them. So fast forward a bit. And it was actually during my shamanic training that I was working with, you know, there was a group of us working with the shaman that I was training with. And that's when I started realizing that not everybody experiences the world in the same way. And I had friends in the group who literally see their spirit guides. I mean, I have a friend who's got this six foot tall blue guy <laughs> who's, I don't remember his name, but the <laughs> six foot tall blue guy who is one of her spirit guides. And he just like pops up in the car next to her when she's driving. And she oh. literally sees it. <laughs> and they have this conversation. Um, and I at first felt like really sad because I didn't see that stuff. And um, Lisa, who was who I was training with, said, yeah, but Wendy, stop and think about what your experiences are in those circumstances when you're trying to reach other realms. How does that happen for you? And I go, well, I feel it. Like I, I, I feel the energy. It's sort of like, you know, when you come home at the end of the day and you walk in the door and you know that two other people you live with have just had an argument. Yes, we do. And you haven't seen either of them yet. But the minute you walk in the door, you just go, oh, yeah, no, this is not good. Okay. Laughing because Teresa just used that as an example for me the other day. So oh. it was perfect. It was either okay. or an argument, that residual feeling. So, you know, you, you feel the energy, even though you can't, it's not something you can actually see. 
And I started realizing that this is actually, this is what I do. I mean, I, I don't see the other side. I don't see spirit animals, but in spirit guides, but I feel them and I feel the presence. And when I really tapped into that and just said, okay, this is what I do. This is my gift. That's when I started realizing, oh yeah, this is what I do when I'm really with a patient and being my most effective self is that I stop. I mean, okay, fine. I'm still using my little intellect, but I'm actually tapping into energetically what's going on with them and using that as the connector and then kind of using the mental plane to sort of come down and do something with it. Does that make sense? It did. And I was actually just going to ask you, I, I didn't even write this one down, but just from what you said, um, the idea of the mind-body connection, that it sounds like early on it was more cerebral and it was, you know, you were, you know, taking the direction and the instruction and doing what you were asked to do. And, but that you had an experience then sort of, I, I don't want to speak for you, but um, how do you find the balance as someone who is cerebral? And then all of a sudden you're in your body. And then there's this, to, then to find the balance that, that allows you to both, you know, interact in that way intuitively, but then also create the, the landscape for healing and be very real legs on the ground kind of thing. So this is what I love about the way I get to practice medicine, because I have the foundation of the biomechanical explanation of all the stuff that they taught me in school. And if that's where people are, that's the, that's what they need to hear. Cause you know, I've had many experiences in the past where clearly I can see an energetic problem, but if the person isn't, if that's not part of their consciousness, it doesn't really make a lot of sense to go there because they'll just think you're crazy. And they'll walk out the door and never come back. So what I love really are people that are sort of in between and they want to hear the physical explanation, but if there's more to it, they're open to hearing that. And so people will ask me a question about, I'm not even thinking of a good example, but they'll ask me an you know, example of like, why did this happen? And I'll go, okay, great. Which answer would you like first? Meaning, do you want the biomechanical answer, which I can explain, it's really simple, it's very basic, or do you want me to go multiple levels beyond that about the energetic experience that you had that damaged? I mean, because, you know, we've got this energy field, and if it's damaged, then the physical body will never heal. And that's one of the really cool things that I learned um, after medical school is if, I mean, every single physical illness that we develop starts in the energy field as an imbalance. And if you don't fix that, you kind of play whack the mole, right? You fix a physical symptom, it pops up as something else later. You fix that, it pops up as something later. If you can just fix the energy field, then it probably will go away. So you go right for looking, you are already, since you've come out of your brain and into your kinesthetics and really gotten in touch with yourself and your own energy fields, now, as you are in the, with your patients or just generally um, with other people, this becomes kind of a second nature and in, an intuitive mind-body connector that you're able to do an intake or an evaluation or assessment or whatever words you use that has a much more rounded and holistic view of the person that you're dealing with. It's funny because... Um, Sherry and I often talk about woo, right? So oftentimes what we, what we do in our alternative, complementary, integrative approaches is so much of an amalgamation of so much this training, all of these different mm -hmm. education that you've had, it gets blended together. Uh, so we've already agreed that Sherry's, what is it, Sherry, about like 60% woo? 40. I don't, I won't go 50, 50. I'm a little more wooey. <laughs> a little bit more. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I, I'm more like you. I, Wendy, I've started as, you know, 80 or 90% brain. <laughs> sure. 
and then have made a transition over the years that began when I became a body worker and a massage therapist. So what's your origin story? How did you make your transition from, you know, you mentioned yoga and coming in and really experience that. Is there anything else that you can put into what brought you to the transition of changing from uh, a conventional medicine practice to medicine imbalance? Um, it's really incredibly corny. Um, you know, I had the world's worst PMS. And when you're in training, everybody's in a bad mood. So nobody really mentioned it. And when I got out in practice, um, let's just say there was a month that I totally laid into an employee. I mean, she did something pretty bad, but I was incredibly unprofessional in my response to it. And three days later, when I got my period, I apologized and she quit anyway. And I didn't blame her. And my business partner at the time said, um, we can't really have you doing this every month. And I went, yeah, right. Absolutely. And of course, I was trained that for the three or four days out of the month that I was a pain in the neck, I had to take Prozac every single day. And I kind of went, mm, no. And I was already kind of interested in um, botanical medicine because I was a gardener and plants speak to me. So um, I said, you know, surely there's a plant that fixes this. I mean, surely women figured out eons ago how to fix this. So I did some education on my own and I found an herb and I started taking it and it made me a much nicer person. Of course, I was brand new in the area and I was new in practice and I didn't want people to think that I was some kind of crazy woo-woo witch. And um, I kept it to myself, which looking back, I kind of wish I had spoken up, spoken up more quickly, but finally, after a number of years, I managed to just take a deep breath and go to a patient and say, okay, listen, no, don't take Prozac. Go to this health food store, get this brand of this herb, take it for three months, call me back. She calls me back three months later and she goes, my husband says, thank you very much. <laughs> so, you know, um, and then that's when I went, oh, okay, fine. I'm not going to get run out of town. And I kind of just went from there because what our conventional medical training does really, really well is acute medicine. You know, when I fractured my ankle six or years ago or so, I was really glad there was an ER with an x-ray machine. But when it comes to chronic illness, they don't do such a great job. And when they come, and, and that actually is a really interesting thing that I found in medical school that looking back, I wish I had paid more attention to. You know, we, you learn anatomy and, and normal physiology, and then you learn pathophysiology, and then you learn pharmaceuticals. And I remember pathophysiology was fascinating to me, like the things that should work that weren't working. And then when I got to pharmacology, I went, uh, wait a second, we're, we're using this drug that has this action, but this action has nothing to do with the pathophysiology. So like, it'll fix the symptoms, but it won't really fix what's going on. And I remember as a second year medical student thinking about that and then immediately going, okay, don't have time to think about it. You got to test to take, just learn what they tell you to do and you let it go. Um, so that's, I mean, looking back, I knew even then intuitively, yeah, okay, chronic illness, they're not going to do a great job. So that's what sort of set me on the path of what I do now. Um, I, I think that acute care medicine in the conventional model is excellent. I think the chronic care medical model in, acute, in our conventional medical system is not really great. And, and the rest of it, I mean, you know, in the 90s, there was very little training in integrative or functional medicine for physicians. And so like I started off learning herbs and um, I went to professional herbal medical uh, to conferences for professional herbalists. And then I learned energy medicine and kind of went from there. 
there are a couple of things that came up for me when you were just talking about that. And one was, is the chronic illness piece, you know, similar to the fact that we don't do a lot of preventative medicine, we do a lot of curative medicine. Um, the first time I'd ever heard of Ayurveda, and I don't know enough about it to really talk about it, but only that they said that there were several stages to recognize before you would even get to a symptom. Once you got to the symptom, it was almost too late. It was like all of this way up to that point that you could really take care of yourself. That's one point. And the other one, going back just a little bit, that the disconnect for me in the energy talk with scientists is that doesn't science tell us that energy, everything can be reduced to energy and that energy cannot be destroyed or created. It can only you know, be sort of replaced or whatever, changed into something. Um, if that's true and scientists say that's true, then why is the conversation about energy so woo-woo? Why doesn't it take on a different gravity that you know, is worth the conversation? Well, if it makes you feel any better, in the past 10, 15 years, there has actually been a lot more research around trying to prove in a scientific way that energy medicine works. Um, oh, I am totally not remembering the name of her book, but there's um, a PhD researcher out of California, I think US um, University of California, San Diego, Shamini Jane. I have met her through colleagues. She is, her research is around the biofield because that's the term they use now because energy medicine sounds so woo woo. So in research, it's called biofield. And um, her, she has a book out for the, for the pop, for you know, popular culture, all about the research around energy medicine. And there's actually a lot. Now, do they teach it in medical school? No, but it is out there. To be, you know, to be able to explain things like distance healing and um, Reiki and all of those other forms of energy healing, there there is actually science behind it. I read that in Eastern medicine, uh, the way that the physicians work and they treat is that they get paid when their patients are well and that they view a patient getting sick. So they're very preventative and in yeah. their approach and looking at like lifestyle, life, uh, diseases of lifestyle and what they can do to enhance well-being, enhance uh, the immune system. And that they actually only, they get paid from their patients when they're well, but if they're sick, they consider that they hadn't they missed something and they allowed that patient to get ill and therefore they don't charge them for until they're well again. Yeah, that is actually the traditional model in ancient China. Um, and I've always joked that I don't think it would work in America because it's based on the preposition that the patient is actually doing what you're asking them to do. So. I think there's got to be a clause in there somewhere that says, hey, listen, if you didn't know, if you didn't do what I said to do, then I still get paid. <laughs> and I think Americans are kind of pickheaded and probably wouldn't do it. It is. Uh, I kind of agree that I love the patients in my practice, although I call them clients, not patients as a massage and yoga therapist who I love them all. But those that come ready to be engaged in their own wellness journey are always a pleasure to work with. Um, and that's basically what you said, you know, we're either halfway there and we're looking for some answers that we don't have, or we're committed. And so what's your experience of being able to help people make that transition from kind of on the fence and really to motivate, empower, self-awareness and this commitment to the prevention side of well-being? So this is going to make me sound really manipulative and I don't mean it to come across that way, but the reality is, I guess it's true. You find the low-hanging fruit, the thing that is going to be the, it, the symptom that is bothering them that is the easiest to change. And 
you give them a suggestion that is really simple. And when they do it and they feel better, then suddenly you're brilliant and they will listen to anything that you have to say. So my, my favorite example is um, reflex disease, you know, GERD. If, you know, people take these crazy drugs and all they really need is some demulcent herbs like marshmallow root and some ginger decoction with a little bit of lemon juice in it. And they do that and it fixes their GERD within literally a week or two like while you're waiting for their blood work to come back so that by the time they come back to talk about their labs, you've already made them feel better. So now you're brilliant. Um, that, that's a great motivating factor. The other thing that I've actually been trained to do is to ask someone if they're coming in because they don't feel good, to ask them, okay, why do you want to feel better? I mean, what is it that you're looking for? What is your motivation to feel healthy? And it might be, oh, I've got a lot of patience in our generation that it's becoming, well, I want to be able to play with my grandchildren and watch them grow up and get on the floor and romp with them and then be able to stand back up from the floor, you know? And so you find what it is that, that motivates them or you you know, you, you look up and it's somebody who's in their late 20s and they've been the way we all were in our 20s, not taking care of ourselves and living in excess and doing all these things. And they suddenly realize, oh my God, I need to be an adult and I need to get my act together so that I can have a healthy body to, you know, raise babies. So you got to find whatever their motivation is. And that will usually work to get them motivated. Now, that being said, Sometimes it's actually really funny. I have a proportion of patients who come in, they haven't done a thing that we talked about the last time. I give them a little pep talk. They go out in the world. They come back at some point in the future, not having done a single thing we talked about. I give them another pep talk. They leave and we do this over and over again. And I finally go, so like, why do you keep coming back? If nothing's going to be different. And they go, because I want to change. I'm just not there yet. And I need to hear you remind me why I should do this. And at some point, it happens every time. At some point, they come back and they go, okay, this is for real now. And you can literally see it in their eyes that they've gotten to the point of being prepared. I mean, you know, it's that whole... Um, motivational interviewing thing when you have to see what level they are in ready readiness to change and at some point it flips over and I'm not 100% sure that I'm doing much to help them go down that path I think it's something that we all have to do as individuals I think that sounds less manipulative than it does smart and it really is telling that part of the story through Manamaya Kosha the mental sheath you know, it's, it's a certain, it's all of it though. It's the wisdom body. It's the intuitive body. It's the vital body. It's all of it. And, and obviously the physical body too. Um, but I think it's their great parenting tricks too. I mean, they're definitely, that's what we do. We, you know, see what can we do that shows some evidence-based you know, basis for what I'm saying. And as a parent, you know, I was like, you don't know what you're talking about. You don't know what's going on. As a doctor, you probably don't get that as much. And I know I've seen you and I will go back and I don't always do everything either, but there is something about the process. Like even in yoga, we do repetitive movements and we mm -hmm. see how that can affect um, and improve our, our elasticity, our flexibility, our strength, all of that. So the repetitive mental piece of just being in the presence of a person that we trust that makes sense to us, that is going to keep reminding us until that moment that we're ready. And it, it's different for all of us. You know, there are moments of practice, like I've been practicing 22 years, 20 plus years, and it's not a quick fix. It's like, all of a sudden I go, oh, that, you know, mm -hmm. as if it's something new, but it's just been marinating. It's been waiting for the right time to come out. And, and you do that brilliantly. I do have a, a question. I was gonna wait till towards the end, but um, you had already mentioned the, what you had answered for us about what your TED talk would be. 
And you said, um, learning to minimize your physical feelings is bad for your health. So, you know, we touched on a lot of that, but I'd like a few minutes of that talk. Like, what would you say on that TED stage about this, that what you want people to really walk away remembering, not even just remembering, maybe for those who are like you who were in the beginning up here, what do you want them to leave this conversation feeling about that statement? So my experience of our culture, and I don't want to assume that my experience is the same as everybody else's, but my experience has always been that you're not supposed to complain about how you feel. You're supposed to just keep putting one foot in front of the other. And, you know, God love them. That's how my parents were. There were six kids in the house. So you had to be damn near dead before you complained about things because, you know, with six kids, you just don't, you know, your parents don't want to hear about it. And I'm number five. I learned really fast. Just keep your mouth shut unless there's, unless you don't think you're going to see the light of day. And then, you know, you get to medical training and you spend 12 years, uh, college medical school and residency, just, you know, not eating enough, not, not eating right, not sleeping enough, not exercising, not having enough sex, any of that stuff. And you just kind of go to work because that's what you do. And in my own life, I actually later um, had a bunch of physical symptoms, like significant things I should have been paying attention to and totally ignored it until, you know, this condition popped up and I couldn't ignore it anymore. And I think what happens, and I'm going to say that this is probably more common in women than in men in our culture. We're so, it's so ingrained in us to be givers and to take care of everybody else that we learned early on to just minimize what's going on inside us. And that's a really bad thing because if we trust our body's wisdom, we will learn to pay attention because, you know, spiritually nice to us. She gives us little bitty things to get our attention first. And if we ignore them, she gives us bigger things to pay attention. And if we ignore that, she gives us really big things. And if we ignore that, she slaps us upside the head. And it's just, I say that in sort of a funny way, but the reality is even if you look at the biomechanics of pathophysiology, that's how it goes. You get little bitty symptoms that are things that you could ignore. And then gradually, if you don't stop the process, it turns into something that you may not be able to turn around very easily. So that's kind of my point is that if we just learn to pay attention to the little things, not to say that I want you to become a hypochondriac, you know, that's a different thing altogether. You have to be balanced with it. You have to be realistic. Like it is okay to not feel the same every single day, but you need to learn what your normal patterns of healthy feelings are so that if anything pops up that feels different, then it should get your attention, especially if it continues on for a while. Um, and so I do have to be careful how I talk about that with some patients because somebody, there are some people who just, they think you're supposed to feel exactly the same way every day. So if they have any little thing that goes off on a tangent, they get a little bit freaked out. And I don't mean that at all, but yeah, ignoring our symptoms. I, I have so many patients who, by the time they come to see me, there's so much going on that if I go back in time, getting their history from them, they start realizing, oh, you know, you're right. I actually started noticing this five years ago, but because this was going on and this was going on, and I was busy taking care of this and busy taking care of that. And it's always taking care of someone else. They finally drag themselves in because they can't stand it anymore. I'll often use that <clears throat> same philosophy when I'm talking to my clients or in a class. We have to listen to our bodies whisper so we don't have to hear them scream. Oh, yeah. And I really connected with you there because I'm number five, too. Um, so uh, I have eight, but I'm also number five. So we have that in, <laughs> we have that in common <laughs> as well. You talk about this awareness of 
being able to notice what's going on in our body, our mind, our spirit, and bringing your patients through their um, intake with you and them coming to this realization that, oh, this has been around for a while. Is there anything in your practice that I know that you have a lot of different practitioners in your integrative practice that have different um, modalities that they incorporate. What do you, what does your practice offer for people to help them build that awareness, to listen more deeply, to make that transition to hearing what their body is saying and enhanced awareness so that maybe they can notice this stuff, um, anything that's kind of going awry a little bit earlier, but still with the same awareness that they know that every day you can feel a little bit different. You know, that's actually one of the things that I love about my practice because every single practitioner that I work with comes at this from a different angle. And so you can basically, I sort of see my job as being the person doing the triage and saying to any individual, okay, I think that maybe for you, acupuncture is the way to go because you're going to be able to actually feel the energy running through the meridians faster. And maybe that will help you actually get in tune with what's going on with your body. And there are other people that, um, and sometimes maybe athletes fit into this category, people that are very physical. I'll have them see the osteopath who will, because they have a little thing that they need to fix, but because his work is much more you know, bones and muscle and connective tissue. And he's like explaining to them how things work that helps them get in touch that way. And then some of the other practitioners, it's much more on the, on almost more of an energetic connection to their body. Um, like the Rubenfeld synergist that works with me. It's all about feeling in the body where the emotions lie energetically because that's a big thing. And some people really connect with that. For other people, they have to have like six sessions with her before they can feel anything at all and have any idea what she's talking about. And most people won't go that long. Um, so like, and then there's some people that getting them to get energetically connected with their body or feel what's going on needs like really big stuff, like the shamanic practitioner that I work with. So everybody's a little different. And um, that is what I love about the fact that I've got all these different options available. And to some people, for some people, it's actually simply, they need the time to learn to slow down. I spend so much time talking to people about just stopping and slowing down, getting things off their plate that they don't need to be spending time doing because if you're running from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next, of course, you're not going to stop and pay attention to anything, you know? So for some people, it's that simple. The, the pandemic had to have had some kind of um, lesson in it. You know, I was thinking about how in our culture, we're also many of us much up here, either in the head or in the body. It's the emotional and energy piece. And again, like you said, I don't want to say other people's experience, but because we live in such an, in, an intellectually, is it intellectual heavy society, um, we're reading, we're looking, and beliefs, I think, get fall into that mental sheath also, our belief systems, but they also land in the body. They're also on all the, the levels. How do you see our mental heavy, our mind heavy society? How do you think that contributes to either, and I know we've talked a lot about different things that, that work here, but that contribute to dis-ease and healing in the body. You know, the whole idea of mind over matter, there's, you know, that came for a reason, but do you see how our minds are affecting our behaviors um, positively or negatively? And how that works in the whole healing system and when pandemic magnifies all of our, you know, minutia. So I'm not entirely sure if this is gonna answer your question, but- I'm not even sure exactly what the question is. So whatever well, you say is gonna be perfect. One of the things that I thought about when I was actually kind of looking at what's going on as our culture evolves, think about it. We are now a 
service industry culture. We don't really do much in the way of like heavy duty manufacturing that's more physical. It's all about mental stuff. And I think it has shifted all of our energy up here. And I think about my paternal grandfather who was this very interesting balance between a farmer with a dairy herd and a beef herd. And he was also the high school principal in this tiny little town. So he was very intellectual, but also had a really physical job. Like he split his time. And that, I mean, he had his own little quirks, but he was, he was a really balanced person in that way. Um, and it was only as he got, it was interesting because it was only as he got older and he was doing less physical work on the farm and more intellectual like reading and all of that, that he started getting like, frankly, a little more unbalanced in his personality. Um, and I think that now as a culture, since we spend so much time in our heads, if you look at what is bubbling up more and more, I mean, the three of us have been in like the yoga world for decades, but it's becoming so mainstream now because I think people are needing to get that groundedness of being in their bodies because they spend so much time in their heads. And I think that the pandemic was really interesting because the people who could do the work of the service industries that were all computer-based, they were still working, but it they couldn't get out. And, and we, we all, I think, felt a little bit out of joint in terms of you couldn't get to the gym to work out. You couldn't get to the yoga studio because they were closed. And we were suddenly floundering trying to keep that balance. So, but I, I do think it's because our culture has headed more and more and more toward the intellectual that we're now starting to see a resurgence of, oh, we, in our spare time, we have to do the physical stuff because we used to do it as part of our day-to-day -day living. Does that make sense? Yes, that totally makes sense. Yes. Um, I was wondering as well, um, because of how we are evolving and changing and noticing things that are different, do you see an impact of that in your practice? More people seeking um, different alternatives to their well-being and kind of expanding that look of what they are seeking, who they're seeking, and maybe even a level of compliance once they arrive. I, I'll be honest with you. My, I think that the reason people seek the kind of care I provide has more to do with their dissatisfaction with conventional medicine. Um, I don't know that it's necessarily, I, I don't know how else to explain it. But that being said, I do think that lots of people who come in to see me with very little um, sort of direction on my part, will start to realize that they really are imbalanced because of the way they live their lives. Because, you know, they're spending the bulk of their day in their head being intellectual. And yeah, they may go to the gym twice a week to work out because they feel obligated to do so. And I know I irritate people all the time because I go, no, you don't understand. Human bodies are meant to move, like move every single day. Even if it's not a lot, move every single day. And they just look at me and I go, listen, trust me, a 25 minute walk every single day, even if it's not fast, is better than busting your butt at the gym twice a week for an hour and a half. Because we're not designed to be up here. You know, we're supposed to be moving this around. And that's where a lot of our illness comes from is that imbalance. Um, and people kind of get it after a while. They, when I first say that to them, they kind of look at me and blow me off, but they start figuring it out after a while. This is one of the things I love about the kosher model that we're using for this 
this lens to explore the body because it takes in the physical and the the energetic and the mental and the wisdom the intuition that piece that often gets lost as some you know esoteric sixth sense that no one wants to whisper it like they would be talking around the table and be like did you hear so and so has cancer it's kind of like that's you know you're talking and then that has to be the whisper but you know we've got the five senses and then there's the sixth sense you know there's this you know almost mysterious secret about it but that's validated in this model and then all of these layers are designed to get us to understand who we are as a whole person you know in our totality and by definition in this model knowing ourselves well and being in balance is bliss that brings us to our bliss body. And so, you know, if we're going to disown or fragment any of these layers in service of some belief system that um, I grew up thinking I need to be more intellectual or I'm the athlete or some other archetype that doesn't quite fit the whole model, then, you know, that's where I think a lot of imbalance also comes because we'll never know who we are if we always believe who we think we are. Right. Or have been told we are. I don't know. So what I, I do love the fact that you guys are using the kosher system to explain what I have always referred to as sort of the onions, you know, the layers of the onion. And as soon as you were talking about that, you know, that sixth layer, the intuition, the thing that we don't really talk about, it brought to mind a patient that um, I had a visit with recently. I've known her a number of years and she's made some interesting transition during this time because she came in to see me as somebody mostly complaining about a physical problem, but had done a little dabbling in energy medicine so that like she was kind of willing to talk about it. And let's just say that over the years, she's, you know, she's moved from, I only have a physical problem to, yes, I understand there's an emotional connection to this. And yes, I understand there's an energetic piece here. And out of the blue, right at the beginning of this visit I had with her, she goes, I have to tell you, the coolest thing happened. I said, what? She goes, I realized I actually am incredibly intuitive. I said, what do you mean? She goes, um, I'm not schizophrenic. I hear voices. And she actually realized that she channels. And she was totally blown away by this. And what I found really fascinating is that she goes, this is why I have to take care of myself. I went, what do you mean? She goes, this is clearly why I'm here. She goes, I am 67 years old and I have finally figured out why I am here I've had all these other things that I thought I was supposed to be doing. And I finally have realized that I've had this gift all along. I have totally ignored it. And she goes, it's, she goes, I'm totally new at this. And I'm really, it scares the bejesus out of me. She goes, but what happened to get her down, going down this path is she had what she originally thought was a dream. And then she realized that she was actually awake when it happened. And knowledge came to her to tell a friend about something that was going on in her life that was really important and it totally changed her friend's life and then of course she's catholic she went to her uh went to church and talked to her pastor and went um i i don't know what i just did it may be really bad and fortunately he was really understanding and said no 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 if this is what you do this is what you do and he's been very supportive and so she goes you know this is a piece of me that I've totally ignored and now I feel whole. So isn't that great? That is, oh wow. man. Um, we are coming up near the end here. And so I want to honor our time, but to give you a chance to say anything, because when we first posted that we were playing around with this podcast, you were the first person to post in and say, I've got, I've got stories. So I don't know if you remember what you were thinking at the time, but if there's anything that this is your chance, free form, no question, except, you know, the stage is yours and then we'll wrap up. Oh gosh, you know, I could go on forever. I think what I was thinking at the time I said that, I was, when you, when I'm, I'm reading this about your new little venture and talking about the physical body and 
I remembered how many women, okay, I was an obstetrician for years. I was thinking about what sometimes happens when women give birth. First of all, how incredibly amazing it is to watch some of these people do this. But also, we used to talk about it as the mommy gene kicks in, the mama bear kicks in, and suddenly this person that we had always thought of as being sort of meek and mild because she went through this incredible physical experience and she has this energetic connection to this being she just brought into the world, she suddenly becomes mama bear. And she comes back, you know, like sometimes even before they leave the hospital to go home, they have totally transformed their personality and they're standing up for themselves and they're speaking back and they're being appropriate and they're not being meek and holy moly, by the time they come back at six weeks for their checkup, it's like they're in and out the door and you go, is that the same person that was so quiet and meek during the pregnancy? So I think that that is a perfect example of somebody who can, for the first time maybe ever in their lives, totally inhabit all of themselves because they went through the birthing experience. Does that, that's probably the, the quickest example I could give. It was perfect. It's perfect. And what a beautiful way to kind of wrap it all up. Wendy, thank you so much. This has been fun. This was, a, I think, a feather in our cap, for sure. We are so honored that you um, have put aside your evening to spend with us and share all your wisdom and thoughts. Um, thank you so much for being here. We want to thank our guest, Wendy Warner, MD, who is an example of how to live a balanced life and whose reverence for nature reminds us that we are not separate. We are nature. Thank you, Wendy, for sharing your time with us and for reminding us that there's more than one pathway to healing. Join us for episode nine when we invite Amy McKay to join the conversation. Amy is a human trainer of dogs, and she knows, quote, there are two ends to every leash, unquote. Her technique requires the ability to rest in her intuition and is guided by the wisdom of interaction. She will reveal new ways to experience our intuition and allow that to lead the way. Thank you for listening to Anecdotal Anatomy. We are so grateful for every listen, subscribe, and follow, as well as hearing your stories. So please keep them coming. Email your kosher stories, questions, and musings to anecdotalanatomy at gmail.com. We may read your story on air one day. And please share this podcast with your people. Swing by our YouTube channel for all of our teasers and other content as that library continues to grow. Shout out to our editor, Judith George, Keith Kenny, who composed and performed our music, and our photographer, Cindy Fatsis, who we see for seeing us. See you next time. See you next time.